Good morning. Let's stand together today and let's open our Bibles. Let's look at Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. John the Revelator writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from, his, from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Father, we thank you for the great gift of salvation that is given to us, Father, even as this word says of the life we shall receive without payment, without anything that we can do except to receive you in our life. I pray that today, Father, you let every one of us examine our hearts. Have we received you as our Lord and our Savior? And Father, if there are those in this room who need to do that today before they leave, we pray your Spirit would bear witness to them. But also bear witness to every one of us in this place, Father, about our friends and our loved ones and everyone's need for salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. The hope that we have on this earth, when we talk about the great hope, we're talking about the hope of heaven, the hope of eternal life, the hope that this world isn't the end of it, that this isn't the best we get, the best we can hope for, but that there is heaven. I love the concept of heaven. I love the thought of heaven where, th where all things are changed. If you don't like change, you may not like heaven. Because <laughs> all things are going to be made new. Things are going to be changed. It's going to get better. It's not going to be the old way. It's going to be a new way and a better way. We write songs about it and we hold on to the thought of heaven as our great hope that death does not really finally defeat us but eternity is ahead. Heaven so freeing from the pain of this world. We used to sing a song, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop in that bright land where we'll never grow old. And someday yonder, for those of you who don't know what yonder means, someday out in the future, someday yonder, we will never more wander but walk on streets 
that are purest gold. See, yeah, bless the Lord. All the good and beautiful things that are rare and great on this earth are common in heaven. There's a story about a man who pleaded with God, pleaded with God to allow him when he came to heaven to bring one suitcase with him to heaven. And God told him he wouldn't need it, but the man continued to plead with God throughout his life and finally said, look, if it's going to give you peace, I'll let you bring one suitcase to heaven. And finally, finally God had given him, and finally that, that day yonder finally came for this man, and he comes to the pearly gates and is met there by St. Peter. And St. Peter sees this man with his suitcase in his hand, and St. Peter says to him, you can't bring that here. You don't allow things like that here. And the man says, no, 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 I have, I have a special permission. St. Peter says, I've never heard of such a thing, and I've never heard of special permission. But he goes, and, you know, he's a patient guy, so St. Peter goes, and he looks up in the records, and lo and behold, there it is. God's given him permission to carry his suitcase into heaven. And St. Peter says, this is quite unusual, but enter in, enter in. The man starts through the great gates of heaven. When St. Peter stops, he says, wait a second, before you go in, I'm just curious, I'm just curious. Would you mind showing me what's in the suitcase? The man was reluctant, but finally says, well, this is heaven, so I guess it's okay if I show you what's in here. And he opens up his suitcase, and it is packed full of gold, bright, shining, 24-carat gold just beautiful St. Peter stands there he looks at this gold in this suitcase for a moment he's a bit confused and finally says the man you could bring anything into heaven that you wanted why did you bring pavement (laughs) the things that are so important and precious to us on this earth are going to be common in heaven. What a great thought for us. The things that we value here are common there. Think about the things that won't be in heaven. Ever thought about that? Doctors, you're out of a job. Funeral directors, you're out of a job. We don't need insurance people. We don't need your job in heaven. Pastors get a new vocation too. No more hospitals, no more graveyards, no more church buildings as we know them now. All those things don't have a place in heaven. No more pain. Anybody had pain this week? No more pain in heaven. No more suffering in heaven. No more depression in heaven. No more jails in heaven. No more security teams or police forces in heaven. Be a place of great sin. No need for locks or alarm systems in heaven. Nature will be back in order. No more wars or terrorism. No more worries. No more politicians arguing on TV. What freedom that will be. Our bodies will be incorruptible. In other words, they'll never grow old. 
colds, coughs, flu, sickness, glasses, contacts, all are all things of the old ways and are passed away. Nature will be in order. Truly, we're going to a better place. Amen? Amen? Amen. Now, you know where we get this concept of heaven? You know where it comes from? The concept of heaven comes from the Bible. The concept of all the things that I've just talked about come to us out of the Bible. When we read the Bible, we begin to learn about heaven and the great things that are there for us and the great wholeness that's going to be there for us and the great hope for all eternity are revealed to us from the Bible. In other religions, their idea of eternity is quite different from that. In one, paradise is a male-dominated culture where women are owned as their sex slaves. In another religion, mankind travels through life being reincarnated again and again and again, working out his past failures, coming back until we pay the price for all our former ways, but eventually we evolve into the cosmic whole of the universe. Individual identity is lost, and we're a part of the cosmic whole. Don't let anybody tell you that there's many paths the same way. We don't claim we're going to the same place. Religions don't say, don't, don't have an end destiny that sounds alike. The end destiny of a religion sounds completely different. And the pathway to get there in most religions is all about our works. But in Christianity, it's all about God's grace and God's mercy. It is the Bible that gives us hope of a better place for all mankind where all races and all genders come together and find wholeness and the unity of life and the purpose of life and where there are great reunions where we see our loved ones again, our moms, our dads, our grandmas, our grandpas, children, friends, relatives that have gone before us, that we get this opportunity to once again reunite with them in a new wholeness and a new truth. This is the promise of the Bible. It's not the promise of the Koran. It's not the promise of other writings. It's the promise of the Bible. But friends, when we think about heaven, we need to listen to what the Bible also talks about. The Bible also gives us not only the concept of heaven, but the Bible gives us the concept of hell. In John 3, 36, it says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Earlier in that very passage, that very, same, that very same chapter, Jesus says to the Pharisee that's come to question him, not you should be, you must be born again. You must be born of the Spirit of God moving on your life 
and your life being transformed. It's great to think and to sing about heaven, to go to friends, lo- the, 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 to friends and loved ones' funerals and think about reunions and that their suffering is over. But let's remember the price for that was a son coming and dying on the cross, the Son of God, and you and I putting our faith in him for our salvation and our faith in him to be our Lord. See, the same book that tells us about heaven also tells us about hell. In Revelation 21 that we read, it says, the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Boy, when I was a kid and I learned about hell, talking about being scared straight, (laughs) the truth that there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun, and my eternity's going to be spent in one of them. Why do we ignore this point? This point that the the truth that all people must be born again. All the Gospels talk about hell. Jesus talks about it time and again. He talks about the sheep being separated from the goats. He talks about people coming before him and him saying, depart from me, I never knew you. Paul talks about the sin nature that must be healed by the power of the blood or all that is left is eternal judgment. We learn about the book of life and the moment that we stand before God at the great white throne judgment that is a pass-fail test at that moment. Where you're either in or you're out and it all depends on whether you put your faith in the Lamb of God. It's why it's called the Lamb's book of life. Did you put your trust in Him? You know, I've had people tell me, say to me some of the most ignorant things about hell. I had somebody tell me once, why would I want to go to heaven and sit on a cloud and play a harp for eternity when I could go to, hell, go to hell and party with my friends? You know, statements like that are just so ignorant of the truth and what hell is and what heaven is. Just like there are some things that you will not find in heaven, there are things you'll not find in hell. You won't find any friends in hell. There's there's no sitting around with your buddies and talking about the good old days in hell. There's no discussions going on in hell. There's no parties. There's no celebrations in hell. Hell is the loneliest place in all creation. Hell is full of regret Hell is filled with hate and despair. Hell is filled, each each creation there is filled with depression and self-loathing over what they missed when they saw the great creator of the universe. 
There's no laughter there. There's no joy there. There's no peace there. It is a place of physical and emotional suffering. The worst of the worst. Nothing on earth can compare to the glories of heaven. And nothing on this earth compares with the terror and the lostness of hell. If you could glance into hell for but a moment, you wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy or the most terrible person you ever saw on this earth. It was not made for man. It was made for the devil and his angels. Man goes there through our rebellion and by avoiding the mercy offered by Jesus. Oh, you may say, Pastor, hell is an antiquated thought. That's what people want to tell us today. Hell's just an antiquated thought. It's a Puritan thought. We have a loving God. All is well. Well, friends, if hell is an antiquated thought, why isn't heaven an antiquated thought? Why isn't a better place an antiquated thought? We do have a loving God. We do have a God who cares about us. And that's why he sent his son to rescue us so that we can be saved from hell. So we can be rescued. See, friends, when we go and stand before God someday, and each and every one of us, each and every person in this room, each and every person in Springfield will someday find the end of their days on this earth, and they'll find themselves standing before a living God. And when we stand before the glory of a living God, we're just seeing some of his creation around us right now. We're just, we stand in awe of what he's done on this earth, and it's corrupted by sin. It's under the curse, and we stand in awe of it. When you stand before a purified, a pure, holy, magnificent, powerful creator of all the universe and all that is, the question isn't, why does anyone go to heaven? What's really amazing is that anyone gets to go, go to heaven at all. It's not, why does anyone go to hell? Why does anyone get to go to heaven? That's the real question. Many think they're okay for eternity. They have a false security. Who are these people? The religious people. You can be really religious and have false security. You can be baptized. You can go through, past the catechism and get recognized. You can go to church regularly. You can be a member. You can tithe. You can volunteer. When you die, you can have somebody pray over you and say nice words and hope the best. The question is, were you born again? The self-righteous, they think they're okay. I'm not so bad. I've never killed anybody. I know some people who go to church, not better than them, and they may be. Righteous in themselves. I even serve others. I'm okay. I work hard and I take care of my family. I don't do evil things. That's not the question. Because all of our works are as filthy rags. The question is, are we born again? There's the uninformed. They think they're okay because they just don't know. 
They've heard that there's many ways. They think they're on one of those paths of many ways. They've heard that everybody's going to a better place, and they think they're going to a better place, and they're just uninformed of the truth. And then there's the deceived that have been taught a false teaching, that have heard something that isn't true, and have bought into it, believe it, hang on to it. But friends, the deceived still need to be born again. And then there's those who just don't believe in heaven or hell. But the reality is whether I believe or not, I'm going to stand before God someday. So the question is, what is good enough? In Romans it says this, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to us. What is he saying? It's not about us doing the works. It's not about us checking off all the right things on our checklist. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. Listen to this. There is no distinction. There's no racial distinction. There's no country distinction. There's no background distinction. There's no age distinction. If I put my faith in Jesus Christ to be my Savior, I can be born again. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, to pay the price for us by his blood, for those to be received by faith. We receive the work of Christ by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. See, if God is just I, and, and I am a sinner, which I am, my only hope is that he finds a way to justify me. I can't do it myself, and neither can you. But he sent his son so that he could be a justifier. He could make a way for you and for me. In John 14, Thomas said to the Lord, when Jesus is talking about going to heaven, he says, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one. Here's the problem we struggle with. If we believe in heaven, we have the same foundation to believe in hell. Now, who goes there and who sets the standards? So we think of someone who's terrible. We think of some mass murderer or somebody like Hitler or Stalin or some abuser of children or someone who's just done terrible things upon this earth. And we're like, well, if anybody's going to hell, it's them. 
But the scripture we just read says that all have sinned. And all have fallen short of the glory of God. The standard for heaven is very clear. You must be born again. By faith, you have to receive Jesus into your life and follow him as the Savior. So when you think about heaven, you think about hell. It's easy for us to get our mind off onto hell. Okay, well, hell's for really real people that we think are really, really bad. But the truth is all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That really nice neighbor that you have, the one who brings you cookies at Christmas and waves at you every time you leave the house, who sees you in the yard and comes over and helps out. They're nice, they're friendly, they're kind. You really like them. They must be born again. That coworker who's sweet to everyone, always joyful, always kind, caring, and reaches out to those around him, reminds everyone of somebody's birthdays and celebrates with them and shows up at special events. They're just one of the nicest people you've ever met. They must be born again. They must be born again. That aunt or uncle who helped you with your college bills, who buys you great presents on, at Christmas and uh, on your birthday. When they come to town, they want to take you out to dinner and celebrate with you. They, they treat you like one of their own kids. They're, they're fun to be with. But they must be born again. Your buddy from school, your buddy from work, your buddy from the softball team, you're great friends, you have a great time together, you laugh together, you play together, you enjoy each other's company, but friend, at the end of the day, they must be born again. That son, that daughter, that you love with all of your heart, you would surrender your life for their good. That grandson, that granddaughter, that just the thought of them makes you feel warm and fuzzy inside and makes you want to just go and hug them. You love them so much, you can't stand the thought of them going into a Christless eternity. But hear me, friend, they must be born again. They must be born again. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. They must be born again. So, what do you think we should do? What do you think, Christians, what do you think we should do about those around us that we love and we like and we care about. They're our sons, our daughters, our grandsons, our granddaughters, our friends, our co-workers. What, are we, what should we do? Should we be silent while they march into a Christless eternity? Should we be afraid to offend them while they walk into an eternity without God? Should we care about how they see us today and what they think about us today while they march off to an eternity without Jesus? Or do you think maybe God put you next to that nice neighbor 
He put you sitting in the cubicle right next to that really nice coworker or made you their boss. Do you think that maybe God put you on that softball team? Because just like he loves you, he loves them. And he wants us to get it. That the most important decision our son, our daughter, our grandson, our granddaughter will ever make is the one they make about Jesus. Think we should pray? Think we should share? Do you think we should invite? Pastor Jim, come on up here real quick, would you? I want you to welcome Jim Austin to the platform. As we talked this week and prepared for this message, I shared with you a message about a teacher of mine last week, and I wanted Jim to share a, a story from his early days as a Christian. Jim, will you take just a minute or two and do this? Thank you, Pastor Mark. The year was 1979. I'm a native of Springfield, graduated from Springfield Southeast, and I was a Christian, and I'd been running from the call to go into the ministry for several months. Um, and while I was going to school, I always tried to pick wisely those that I would hang out with, be friends with. And there was a young man there that uh, I became friends with. He happened to live in the same neighborhood. If any of you know about the Cabbage Patch, I'm a Cabbage Patch kid. So <laughs> we lived out there in the same neighborhood with the same school. He was a pretty good kid. And uh, I was outside one day where we lived on South 12th Street. And if my memory serves me correctly in this area, I was shooting some basketball at my basketball goal. Our oldest son was only about three years old. My wife was just about ready to uh, become pregnant with our second child in month of May. But somewhere early in the month of April, uh, I will leave the name Robert. Robert came down the alley. I was out there shooting hoops, and he stopped for a while, and we began to talk. And, and I knew that as he was speaking, he was hurting. He had some real serious back issues, even as a young man. Well, I had rheumatic fever when I was a young child, and through praying parents, godly parents, God healed me of rheumatic fever. And I never had any other heart murmurs or issues with that. And I knew what God could do. I was already a Christian, as I said, but I was running from the call to be a preacher. And so we were talking about his health issues, and the Holy Spirit prompted me to talk to him about another kind of healing. While I had talked to him about my healing of rheumatic fever, the Holy Spirit wanted me to talk to him about how God could heal his back. And that was easy to do. I started talking to him about that. 
But then the Holy Spirit said, now I want you to talk to him about a spiritual healing. I knew he was a good kid. Pastor Mark, he wasn't good enough. None of us are good enough. It's not our goodness, but it's his goodness, his grace. For some reason, something kept me from going on and telling him the story of God's redemptive plan. Well, we parted ways that day. And a few weeks later, my wife and I had been somewhere, and we'd come home, and, and uh, I saw my dad, and my dad came up to me, and he said, did you hear what happened to your neighbor over the weekend? I said, no. I really didn't first know who he was talking about. And then he said, Robert. Uh, I said, no, I haven't heard anything. He said they were on their way back from southern Illinois on Route 127, and had a head-on collision with another vehicle. And Robert and his wife, their three-year-old daughter, and the child that she was carrying were all killed instantly in that accident. And you talk about a feeling of just chills and, and the fact that I had an opportunity to, to either invite him to church or share, really the Lord was leading me to share with him the gospel message. And sometimes we're led to share with people and, and try to get them to church like Pastor Mark's been saying. And for some of us, that may be the easiest thing to do, and you, we need to do that because it might be the only chance you have. But for me, I was old enough in the Lord that I knew how to present the gospel and, and, and to try to lead him to the Lord, and that's the way God wanted me to go, and I refused or failed to do so, and that bothered me for weeks and months to come, thinking about, did they have a chance? Did they have some last-minute opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, or are they right now in eternal torment? Folks, I'm sharing this with you today because we have a great opportunity before us. Each, each and every one of us have friends and family members and people that we work with that you don't want their blood to be on your hands. You don't want to miss the opportunity when the Spirit of the Lord is prompting you to invite them to Calvary Church or to uh, talk to them about their soul. You don't want to miss that opportunity and feel the way that I felt for some time. Pastor Mark, when you asked me to share this today, it brought all those things and those feelings back into my mind, my heart. I hadn't thought of this for years. And I was just sitting there last night, and I thought, you know, I'm going to do an obituary lookup and just read an article about, because I didn't even go to the funeral. How, how, how sad is that? And I was raised in the church all my life. But I saw where they were buried at Oak Ridge Cemetery, and I saw the headstone and I saw his name, his wife's name, their daughter's name. And it just brought that feeling over me like, you know, 1979 relived all over again. Please, tell the story. Or invite someone to church before it's eternally too late for them and they go to a place that wasn't prepared for them. Amen. Thank you, Jim. Yeah, keep that.
I believe there's somebody in this room, if not several of us, that God has laid somebody's name on your heart. And it may be their last chance. We don't know. We don't know whether it will be or not. But here's the call, friends. We never know. We never know. And I don't think we should go and do this out of guilt. I think we should go do it out of passion. Out of a love for people and a love for the lost that Christ puts deep in our heart. And our prayer today has been that our passion, our awareness, that the people around us who we like, they must be born again. And maybe, just maybe, God's put you in their life for that very purpose. Let's stand together today and let's pray. Lord, in these next few moments, as we sing together, I just pray that a new passion would come upon our lives. I pray that you would lay people's names upon our hearts and challenge us, Father, and speak to us and convict us. And I pray that, Father, a concern for those who don't know you would be greater than any fear or any worry or any concern that the enemy would try to put upon us and lie to us about. And that, Father, we would be a people who would invite others and share our faith with others in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask our prayer teams to come down to the front right now. And as they're stepping out and coming down, I'd like for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed for just a second here today. If you'll say, Pastor, I need, to, I need to put my faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I need to do that today. I want to be born again today. If that's you, just raise your hand right now and say, Pastor, pray for me. Yeah, see that hand others today. You raise your hand. I'm not going to wait here long. I'm going to give you that chance. God bless you. Others today, you'll raise your hand and say, pray for me. Father, you see the hands that have been raised, and you know others that may need to raise their hand today and step out in faith. And I pray in these next moments they would do that very thing, step out in faith, receive you as their Lord and their Savior in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us today. God bless you. Go in peace. Grace in the Lord.